You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Hi everyone, welcome to the Comedy Album Book Club. This is Matt, and if you've been following our website, you'll have seen that we had the opportunity to attend the JFL 42 Festival here in Toronto over the last two weeks of September. In our last two episodes, we spoke with Shanti Morostica, who went on to win the Canadian Top Comic Contest presented by SiriusXM. But that wasn't our only JFL 42 guest. During her stay in the city, Jackie Cation took some time to sit down with us and chat about comedy. Sorry if the audio quality isn't the best, we recorded this in the lobby of the hotel meeting space, but the conversation is well worth a listen. We talk about the world of comedy, her own projects, and geek out a bit about our various nerddoms. So, thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Okay, so, um, welcome to Toronto. Uh, uh, so... You're Jackie Cation. Uh, I've actually seen you a couple of times perform uh, oh, nice. here in Toronto. Um, I did the, the comedy bar for Leonatlas yeah. with a bunch of people, so yeah. super fun. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I saw you opening for Maria last time she was here as well, which was a good, good show. You're in a different space this time, you're in the Winter Garden. I don't know. So. I don't. Uh, I don't know anything about it. It's not if it's uh, if I'm with Maria uh, or Brian Regan or whoever. What fancy, awesome human being that I get to open for? Mm-hmm. It's a goddamn delight. <laughs> but I don't know shit about it because uh, I don't have a horse in that race. I'm just along for the ride. So I don't know where it is usually, and I'm just like. What am I doing? And uh, and then they're fancy people. They have people. Mm-hmm. I just do stand up. So I just get in the car. <laughs> right? It, it keeps life you know uncomplicated. Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. But if you want to know about Maria, I oh, don't, no, I don't no. know anything about it. Yeah. So no, no, it's no, no. where she's it's at. Good, yeah. All I know is I've come. I've come to Toronto. It's a, it's a it's a nice space. It's got like lots of. Greenery, oddly enough. <laughs> Winter Garden is what you said it was called. Yes, yeah. It's All a right. Very big old old theater. <laughs> no uh, snow. No snow. No. Okay. I, it'd, be, it'd be interesting if they decorated with snow theme mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's a it's like two stories. There's a theater on the bottom and a theater on the top. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so one of the things we like to sort of ask everybody is, uh, what's your favorite comedy album? Oh. Um... I know like that, that that can be a lot like you know. Choosing what your mood is for the day. Except for that, I never listened to comedy albums. No. Um, when I saw the name of your podcast, I was like, was I supposed to do some research? No, no. And, and that's okay. the you know, Our last guest, Shanti, they, mm-hmm. they don't listen to comedy albums either. So Right, I wasn't raised listening to comedy albums. I've never okay, seen... Uh, people are very shocked that I've never saw like, any Bill Cosby specials or tapes or... CDs or anything, but uh, I saw them live like six or seven years ago, before the kerfluffle. Yeah, uh, same, before the big reveal. Yeah, I think that was sort and, of the uh, same tour that I saw them on. Yeah, I saw them uh, at a at a county fair, and then I saw them at an Indian casino because my husband was a big fan, and I was like, okay, I'll go. 
I mean, this guy's supposed to be an, I mean, genius level amazing comic. And I saw him, and one of the greatest things about seeing Bill Cosby live was realizing that he's just a comic. He's a really good yeah. comic. Uh, seems like a terrible person. Yes. But uh, as a comic, it seems is is that is that uh, it didn't it didn't feel. I'm sure he's done genius level stuff. Yeah. Because he seemed incredibly good at it, but not. You're probably kind of blown away. Yeah. Well, that was my. Like, I grew up. I was just. I was just reassured that he was so good because everyone loves him. So. Yeah, I, I grew up. Um, listening to him. my dad had his like mm-hmm. Fat Albert stuff as a kid, so I was like, oh, you know. I remember that TV show. I never even. I, not the TV. Did you? I watched the yeah. TV show as a kid, and that yeah. got me into the albums, like Fat mm-hmm. Albert and the Gang albums and stuff, and. And when I was like, oh, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, and I, it was like, I loved his stuff growing up. And so I was like, I got to see this. I don't know how many, how many more opportunities. But then right. when I saw it, it's just like, eh, you know, well, I, yeah, it was he's, good. he's it crafting was really good. jokes, but it's just like. And the two it, times I saw him, there's two years in between. He had written a, a new hour. He redid one joke. <laughs> and it was great. It was, um, <laughs> it's sort of like. You know, you see, we're in a weird place in stand-up right now, just because (laughs) there's like, um, there's a weird, I mean, we're in a weird place in life, in the world, world, of course, where everyone's like, like, because of the internet, and and it's sort of come to the, come to the fore of, it's, it's, everyone has it in their pockets, and they're constantly online, Mm -hmm. is that the reveals of... What I used to just tell friends and women I knew, yeah. hey, there's a dirtbag behind me. Uh, you're going to want to avoid that guy. Now we say it on the internet yeah. and more, so you can warn more people. And it feels like there's guys who are like, it's, in many ways it's amazing because there's a lot of guys who are decent. They're clearly good, decent men yeah. who are like, no, no, I get it. No, women, there's been sexism. It's sort of like me with, and I talk about this on stage a little bit, is that there's, it's sort of like me with racism, where I was like, no, no, I get it. No, I, I've always known that there was racism. That sucks. I don't approve. I'm angry. Yeah. And then the iPhone camera was invented. And I was like, Jesus H. Christ. What is happening every day to absolutely everyone at least once? There's the, with the chitter, you know, and um, and so like the best dudes in the world are like, what's happening? No, I knew that there was something happening. Yeah, what's oh, happening to everyone? Like an eleven year old girl wearing her brother's shirt yeah. is just as much likely to get hurt as an old woman or a woman wearing no clothes or a woman wearing. Possibly too many clothes. So I mean, they're just a it's a it's a free for all, yeah. and and so the learning curve is very steep. Yeah. It's you know they it just the the clarity that these videos like you know any any decent human being like somebody says I've been getting harassed and getting cackled. You believe them? You right. just take their word. Up. But a lot of people are like ah oh, no they're exaggerating. It's like there's no incontrovertible truth. That, right, that, that, right. But the thing is, is and, and even if you didn't, even if you were like 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 I've always been, I was just like no I get it. And then you see video of some you know it's like wow just it's hashtag that nightmare yeah. uh, making somebody's life terrible because they have more melanin. You're like, oh, shit. And so, I mean, I'm willing to learn, and I think that that it's exhausting. And um, But if I think about it, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm exhausted. But how exhausting has it been to be black for 500 years? It's been pretty exhausting. Uh, why, why don't I pick up some slack? And uh, so it'll be... It's fine. But anyway, other than that, I've only heard, like, <laughs> comedy albums. Is I've heard, like, a lot of new comedy albums. Like, mm-hmm. people give me their comedy albums and all. I've heard them. I heard a great one not long ago. Jared Logan. Do you know Jared Logan? No, no. He is originally from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He writes for one of the late night uh, but it shows yeah. with yeah. the panels. Um Everyone's very famous. I don't know any of their names. Uh, so I forget which one he writes for. <laughs> but he's great. We play Dungeons and Dragons sometimes. Awesome. So, at board games. But uh, he is uh, he is a wonderful comic in the way that I listened to his album and I was like, 
you know, like when you, because the whole thing about it, and I'm sure you have an entire podcast about it, <laughs> yeah. is that if it's like listening, and I'm sure people think this about bands as well. Me to speak about music is, of course, ironically very funny because I don't know anything about it. But I know that with albums, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you get a real sense of the whole person. Mm-hmm. Like with bands, I'm sure you get a sense of the whole band. <laughs> but with comedy, you really do learn who's inside there. You know, I yeah. mean, it's you could tell me you're doing a character. But are you wearing a hat? No, I don't know. Um, there, that's always my question. Are you wearing a hat? And my second question is, is there's a dirtbag inside of you that wants to do those jokes. Yeah. Stop it. It's it got to come from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. And you, there's part of you that thinks that that's funny. Yeah. And I know, because there, in my opinion, if, there's, if you want to reveal racism, or if you want to reveal uh, monsterism of any kind, whatever you want to talk about, um, pretending to be in favor of it is not a great angle. It has been done, and I have laughed at it. Uh, Sarah Silverman and Zach Galifianakis are perfect examples of sort of... I I mean, it's essentially... They did ironic racism. Yeah. They they revealed racism within a character situation, and it was done well. And I laughed at it. It also gave birth to a whole ton of humans who were not who were not fifteen years into the game. Yeah, and and tried to do it right out the gate. And it and it's a learned skill and nuance and subtlety. We just did actually Sarah Silverman's Jesus is Magic. Okay. Uh, that was our last album that we, we uh, did a panel on. And that was sort of the observation. It's like, this is obviously an ally. Mm-hmm. They're obviously a queer ally. They're obviously an ally to people of color. And I get where they're trying to go. But, you know, Hit 15, miss. 20 years on, it does oh, not land. Oh, and it land. does not hold up. <laughs> it does not land. Right, And right. She, uh, she actually did, on I Love You, America, she did an episode talking about that just recently. Like, it was titled, I think, my racist past or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, she, I mean, she she's clearly aware of it. and it's a, it, Right. She's it, a self-aware yeah. human who's willing to take responsibility for her own actions. And, and you find that um, the comedy world, it makes this, in entertainment in general, there's this lip service to diversity and, and giving people voices often. It's like, and, and a lot of people who are women or people of color or, or in the LGBTQ plus community yeah, the, the, people say that, but a, right. there's still a lot of hostility. Do you find it's changing on the ground? Do you find there's actually progress in the types of material that people are doing and, and the types of space, the way spaces are behaving? Well, I mean, the the, the weird thing about the the rise of, of how big stand-up is right now, and, and it's sort of like with how big the internet is, is that, in my opinion, the internet was created so that I could find more people who want to discuss at length the Silmarillion. Uh, it was not created, in my opinion, for Nazis to find each other. Yeah. Sadly, that has been my product. <laughs> Give it back! Yeah. And uh, I wanted to, you know, and so there, there's a lot of very specific places that people could go and do stand-up comedy. Yeah. So um, a lot of the mainstream clubs still don't book enough women. Still don't book enough people of color. They've picked up... What I have noticed, and this is completely without, you know, a lot of uh, numbers or anything, because they usually... Here's the, here's the ratio. There's uh, five people on the show at uh, at a club in Los Angeles or California. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles or New York. And um, three or four of them will be men. One of those men... Will be a person of color. The other, there'll be at least three white guys, straight, walking around, worried that they're not getting enough. Uh, you know, uh, that, that, you know, decades of, uh, of getting every game wasn't enough. It's right, to be on. three hundred years of being a pretty sweet ride, guys. Anyway, um, and then there'll be one woman, and then there'll be one person of color. If they have a person of color who is a woman. Uh, they will often have four straight white guys. And um, I have seen some posters lately that made me go, oh, you guys, try. And um, 
And it, it, it is some effort. I mean, I do a podcast called The Door Forest. Yes. And I do a podcast about stand-up as well. But uh, the one with The Door Forest, it it has always leaned heavy to straight white guys. Yeah. Partially because booking anything is a pain in the ass, and nobody is a squeakier fucking wheel than straight white guys. Yeah. They've been trained up in it. They know to ask for things. They know to send out a bills. They know to go, what about now? And the rest of us are sitting around going, well, I don't want to. I already asked. I don't want to push. Yeah. And you're like, no, please push. Because, so, you know, not this 2018, I've, I've actively tried to uh, book my own show. Mm-hmm. And even I, Jackie Cation, ally and, le- and friend of the people, uh, <laughs> it's been, it's kind, it's, first of all, uh, it isn't harder it's only harder because I don't have to... I, I'm not just sitting there fielding answers. So so you mentioned your, your podcast. So it's Dork Forest and uh, the Jackie and Lori show. Yeah. Um, so have you found that podcasting has really helped with the stand-up world? Because there's, there, it seems like every stand-up every comic in the world. Every comic in the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're like pets. You should never have more than two. <laughs> Uh, two for one person. <laughs> the Dork Forest, I, I've been doing that, this is the 12th year. So mm-hmm. I got an early ground floor of a non-money-making endeavor. And uh, and then Jackie and Lori is two years in. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, the Dork Forest has definitely, it's kind of, it's just nice. Because people who listen to the Dork Forest, because the, the whole premise of the Dork Forest is someone is enthusiastic about something that they like a lot. Yeah. And it can be anything. This week, it is, I'm going to say it wrong, so I'm going to go with the American, it's a Japanese toy that this guy, comic, Jason Van Glass, loves. he loves. Uh, th- th- when they came over to North America, they were uh, sold as Muscle. Yeah. M-U-S-C-L-E, which stood for Miniatures in sure, Limited uh, Editions. There's many other words. I don't remember the whole thing about it, but it's classic. I mean, there's like, I had a guy come on and talk about... Uh, uh, Speed Racer, that was a great episode. The Oregon Trail. Um, I had an episode about bees. Bees was awesome. Um, I have two episodes about bees, six years apart. Because uh, beekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> well, busy. lots of change for bees in those six years. Oh, so yeah. And bees are busy. Bees yeah. are, and, so, but, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's usually just a celebration of what people like a lot or what they yeah. know about a lot. And sometimes, like I'm doing a live one here at the Just mm-hmm. for Laughs, and it's with um, Ryan Hamilton, who's uh, one of the new younger guys who's just blown up and is amazing. Yeah. And a Canadian comic named Courtney Gilmore. Yes. Who uh, I saw when I was here probably two years ago at that um, comedy bar gig. She opened for me there. And uh, and she was the light. Yeah. And so they'll be my two. And I, Courtney was like, I like diners. Is that a thing? And Ryan said, I like shoes a lot. And I said, those are topics that can cover an hour very easily. Sure. So, But what, what, I'm, what I was saying about the audience is that is that because the topics are just positive, ha- what people like, mm-hmm. and it's the safest space in the world. So I don't slam whatever you like. I just go, I, what is that like to like that? And then we talk about it. But people, they're incredibly supportive. They come out to shows and... Um, and there's more and more of them every day. Because I don't have, like, it's not like murder. Yeah. You know, like, so the murder podcast, like, my favorite murder is amazing. Those two women are hilarious. Yes. Uh, but they're also talking about murder, and people love murder. Yeah. So Dork Forest, it didn't blow up like that, but it's a slow and steady build, and uh, the Rangers, the, the fans are outstanding. So it's kind of a delight. Jackie Laurie has weirdly enough kind of blown up among young comics mm-hmm. because Lori Kilmartin and I talk about stand-up comedy. Yeah. That's all it is. There's a whole slew of podcasts where middle-aged white guys talk about stand-up comedy. There are yeah. very few middle-aged white ladies talking about stand-up comedy. So we have uh, it's, I wouldn't I don't know that it's a step forward, but it's a lateral move at the be- at, at the very least. It's something and so people come out from that too. It's pretty amazing because that one's blown up. A sort of, it's sort of the same. It's not. The, it might be the same numbers as the Dork Forest, and it's only been around for two years. Yeah, you find um, because I mean I was 
one of my dorkdoms is comedy. Okay. Uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be doing this podcast right, with right. my friend. Um, like, I came to it at a very inappropriately young age. Um, yeah. My mom was a nurse who worked nights. My dad was always away on business trips. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a, a, a nanny. It was the 80s. I'd sneak down on Saturday nights and watch yes. Saturday Night Live when I was like okay. seven or eight years old. Wow. I was, it was just like, this is the Eddie Murphy years. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's like totally incorrect viewing for a child of Eddie. But a couple of years later, that led to like Monty Python and, you know, Benny Hill. Which, right. Again, you know, even you know, 10, 11, 12. Up. Yeah. I remember when I was 11 and I saw Benny Hill and I was like, oh, this is not for me. No, no. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like, Right when Fox came around, that was a big chunk of their million yeah, yeah. programming. I'm like, that explains so much about Fo- the Fox Network mm-hmm. that one of the earliest things they got the rights to was Benny Hill. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm like, I can't watch that. I, I can't no, no. go back. It's no, a- it's, uh, I'm sure there's some very... Because I remember watching it because everybody liked it so much and yeah. thinking, what am I missing? You know, and it's... it's and. And I'll say that somebody else said this, which is hilarious, and but it resonated in me, is that I was trained from a very early age to find uh, things funny that weren't made for me. Yeah. That were like, tits and ass are funny. They're funny. And yeah. you're like, okay, where is it? How, how can I... And so I would find a way that things that were, were very sort of masculine and male-dominated... I've, I've always looked for that perspective and gone, okay, I, that's funny. Mm-hmm. We're in, like, and I was told from a very early time in stand-up comedy that women don't swear, women don't talk about their bodily functions at all yeah. because nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear a woman swear. Nobody wants to hear a dirty woman yeah. and all these things. And I was like, and it was, those things stick with me. I, I do, I swear... Pretty much like a sailor sometimes, but it's—I mean, there's no—it's—it's it's weird that men, male comics, weren't trained in the same way yeah. to try to find comedy in the sort of the female, the the woman's experience. And Kill Martin talks about this fair amount on the podcast. She's like, whenever she goes on stage, she'll see women in the audience just go, "Oh, there's a woman." I'm going to hear, it's probably not going to be a goddamn nightmare <laughs> that I'm going to have to try to find something funny. Yeah. Growing up, like it's, I actually gravitate more towards women comics. Mm-hmm. It's like the comedians that I really enjoy the most. I mean, I like comedians of any Well, you would love gender. me because I have both that, I've come up in that masculine thing, yeah. but I am a woman, so I can't not be a woman. Yeah. And so I, I genuinely... People are, you know, that question. It's like, are you funny? And uh, <laughs> when you ask a male comic, like, fuck off. No, no, they do. They do ask. I mean, yeah. it's just they always ask comics, are you funny? And I always say, of course, I'm hilarious. And then I'm like, I am the golden retriever of stand-up comedy. There is the very few people don't like me. Yeah. Because I have both that sort of because the reason the reason you gravitated towards women comics is probably because you're like. Oh, this is this is a it's it's still funny, but it's a different perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not that there aren't hilarious men. I some of my very favorite comics are. I don't, have you seen any Stuart Lee stuff? No, no. He's a British comic, and I worked with him a bunch of weeks over in Australia many years ago. But the uh, um, he now has a TV show, and he's he was always like the outsider guy, mm-hmm. and uh, last. Not this last special, but the one before. I remember watching it going, oh, I don't think he realizes that he's he's now a muckety-muck. Like, he's kind of a big deal now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he is awesome. He's essentially like if, um, the best way to describe him, Stuart Lee, is um, he's like if Bill Hicks and Andy Kindler were one guy. That's an interesting combination. It's a crazy ass conversation. Uh, it's it's a weird combination, yeah. and it is. And no one can do it. No, no one. No, I mean, you can't even picture it till you see it. And then you're like, I sort of see what she. I mean, I. Some people don't see that when I. But that's what I see when yeah. I see him. So I love. I love him. I love any number of people. But like you know, Greg Proops is one of my favorite comics, mm-hmm. and Dana Gould, and. Um, 
and uh, you know all those guys from San Francisco up in the up in the Bay Area yeah. from the from the early to mid nineties, Pat Oswalt, Blake and Patch, and Brian Bussain, and uh, you know, and they're all very different from each other as well, oh, Matt, sure. Matt Weinhold, and it's um, but it's. There's nothing more fun than watching a comic that you can't not watch. Yeah. You know? I mean, and, and there's and then there's great comics that I've always, like, you're like, well, that guy's really, really funny, but he's a disaster to be around. You know, I can't, like, you're like, he's either hammered all the time, or he's gross, or he's yeah. uh, got some other issue. No, nope, those are the two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like there's there's guys that are funny, but if they're if they're high or they're or they have only like off stage conversation is yeah. drugs, where they're getting them, <laughs> what drugs they're on, what drugs they just did. Yeah, that's exhausting. It got boring in high school. I can't I imagine just, like being an adult and talking I, about that I stuff. We're all we're all exhausted though. Yeah. Can we not? Anyway, so and then of course there's the the, the sexual disasters, yeah. which is every day's a brave new reveal yeah. of someone going, you know what, what the hell, my career? Because the thing is, is you gum up. Do you ever read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle? Yes, I haven't read it in decades, uh, but I read it again. Like I read it in high school, and then I read it again, like probably ten years after. And I haven't read it again because it's sad. So, uh, but I but it. It was one of those books that just stays with you, you yeah. know? And hence the reason it's a classic. But um, in the first half of the book, you'll remember, he's a very powerful guy. He's mm-hmm. an immigrant, but he's a big, strong guy, and he gets lots and lots of work. Mm-hmm. So he has no problem believing that the merit system works. Because he's a big, strong guy who works really hard, and he gets lots of stuff. And then he gets sick uh, on the job mm-hmm. because of the job. Yeah. He gets hurt. It, it takes him months to recover. He's he's emaciated. He's and then he goes back and he stands in the crowd to get picked again, and because uh, it's laborer stuff. Yeah. And he doesn't get picked, and he doesn't get picked because he isn't the big strong guy that he used to be. Mm-hmm. They're still picking the big strong guy, and there's no safety net. So, um, there. When I was a young comic, a young woman comic. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, it's the merit system is real, you know, because I had all the energy in the world. Yeah. I had, uh, I've always been a relatively cheerful, optimistic yeah. person. And, uh, and the, uh, um, and I was getting some work. I was stalling at feature, stalling at feature. And, um, and then when I stalled at feature for too long, I remember thinking to myself, what am I doing wrong? You know, is it, am I too fat? Am I too outspoken? Am I not outspoken enough? Am I not, what am I, am I not working hard enough? And, um, and I meet those uh, young women now and I want to go, yes, you are correct. In many ways it is a merit system, but there will be a wall that they won't let you pass. And yeah. that's the wall that everybody's fighting right now, of course. Yeah, it has been forever. But and and there's chips in it. It's fine. And there is pro- there's always progress. But it's uh, but it's always funny to me that people say, "Well, there's been so much progress." And you're like, "Yes, like Chinese water torture, though, like yeah. drip, drip, drip over the last 150 years." So it's I just they because they if you're a woman comic, and this is still true. When I started, there were uh, there were as many women comics, and but there was pressure to book women comics. Mm-hmm. So you'd get an MC gig pretty quick. Okay. You get you and once you had more than enough time to close, you would feature mm-hmm. and you'd move up kind of quick. Once you could close, you were not you were just kept at feature because mm-hmm. they're like well. I've had more than one booker and club owner tell me that nobody wants to see a woman close. They don't want to see a woman headliner. They want a guy to close. It's going to be because he's more powerful. And you're like, well, I'm going to murder you in my dreams. And uh, (laughs) so, but it's, uh, and that still happens where the stalling happens. And it's, it's not, it's not fair, but it doesn't matter. 
if it's fair or not. All you have to do is just keep working at it. Yeah. And um, but the people who say that that doesn't happen mm-hmm. still are it's a naivete that comes from strength. Yeah, it comes from sort of a feeling of invincibility for being twenty eight years old yeah. and being willing to work sixty hours a week and do stand up for thirty. You know, and um, and I've been there, so I get it. And I'm sympathetic, but not supportive. Yeah. <laughs> so well, sooner or later, they're gonna hit that wall, and they'll realize. Yeah, yeah. and it's and and the wall moves. The wall moves. It is, you know, through hard work, like what you're doing. Well, <laughs> what everybody's done, what everybody before me's done. Like I was just, uh, uh, I saw this. Do you ever see Dick Van Dyke show? Right? Oh, yeah, I loved it. So Rosemary yeah. was really the only example I had as a kid mm-hmm. of a woman, funny woman writer. Mm-hmm. She, was a, she was a writer on that show. Yeah. She was not married. That was her job. She made jokes about liking boys, uh, but she, you know, didn't worry about it. And she was treated well. And she was, and I just saw a documentary that was on like me TV, like one yeah. of those, like a UHF kind of situation, like yeah. a very. It's called "Wait for Your Laugh," and I bought it on Amazon because I'm like, I need to watch this like nine times. Mm-hmm. And she, it turns out, was a star as a baby. She was like a four year old who could sing. Oh wow! With the voice of like a forty year old, and mm-hmm. so she was super famous on the radio in the twenties. And then in the 30s, uh, she grew up and was had a great voice and sang and sang and sang. And then moved out to Los Angeles and uh, did the Dick Van Dyke show. Her husband died. Very sad. She wore that black bow in her forever. That was in the documentary. Aww. And then uh, and then she did the uh, Hollywood Squares or whatever the hell for yeah. the next 15 years. And, uh, and then she died. But she... It was just a fascinating. It was a, it's a great documentary. Is all I'm saying. So, and if you out. like, if you like a comedy album, you might enjoy a one-hour comedy documentary for sure. About Rose for Marie. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned um, shifting gears a bit. You mentioned Please. Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and uh, board games. Do you um, <clears throat> do you find that the the your, aside from giving you material, do you find that those dorkiness elements like Dungeons and Dragons is sort of like a primer in life skills? In a lot of ways. You know what? I never even knew that. But that's everybody who's played it since they were 13. It's like, you get to do, like, the Kessel Run over and over and over again, but not for real. You get to work on social skills in a fictional environment so you can do things once you're talking to people who you aren't gaming with. And I was like... What is it? Because I never knew what it was before I played it. I thought it was live action role playing. Yeah. I thought it was dress up, throw beanbags at each other, mm-hmm. and which is a viable, different game. For sure, for sure. And that, but this is essentially a board game that someone, one person, has uh, created a scenario from the books, mm-hmm. and then three, three to five other people all come up with characters that can have as many or as little traits as you want it to be. And uh, I just played. Um, do you, are you familiar with the double clicks? I've heard They're, of them. Do you know Garfunkel and Oates? Yes. Okay. So the double clicks. <laughs> I'm sure neither of those two uh, duos uh, <laughs> want to be compared to each other, or maybe they do. Garfunkel and Oates, of course. Uh, those two ladies uh, are. Uh, th- those two young women sing awesome songs. Mm-hmm. One, one plays ukulele. The other one, um, I think. Uh, Guitar. Oh, guitar. Yeah. yeah, they both play guitars, yeah. essentially. So the double clicks, um, Aubrey plays the cello, and Laser, who's Angela Weber, uh, Laser mm-hmm. Weber, uh, she plays the keyboards, yeah. and they they come up with funny songs. Sometimes uh, about social stuff, sometimes uh, dick jokes. And hey, it's essentially... The entire gamut. The whole <laughs> gamut. And um, so I played, uh, I was, uh, it was Laser's husband who... Uh, Ran the game. Mm-hmm. I played uh, a fighter dude named uh, Gaston Mansplain. <laughs> and uh, the funnest thing is, like, I've never, I've only played, like, I've played probably in five games in the last 15 years, which is as long as I've known my husband, which mm-hmm. is who I've started playing with. And it's, it's a fascinating game. I mean, I don't know how you would start playing if you didn't have a native Sherpa. Yeah. Like, it, like I 
I could probably DM a game. I could dungeon master a game master a game now. Yeah. 15 years later. But at the beginning, I would just... And luckily, I played with Andy, my husband, and three other, uh, three or four other guys who had been playing since they were 13. Yeah. And a couple of them have swallowed all of the books. <laughs> um, it, it's imp- I, I've been playing since I was about that age yeah. myself. And it's amazing. I, I don't have that rule retention. I'm, I'm much more of a... I wanted it to be an improviser. I wanted it to be funny. Oh, and yeah. So I was like, I, I, I'm much more into the role-playing aspect. And then sure. I like, lean on the other people for, okay, this is what I got to roll. Right, right. right. <laughs> what are the charts? I played Champions for a while, which mm. is a superhero kind of game. And my husband actually, there's a free, he made a free superhero RPG. He's a game designer. Yeah. So um, that if you want to go and download character sheets and play that game, it's amazing. It's called The Hero Instant. That's and it's... Uh, and the reason he made it was because I hate character making characters because it's fiddly. Yeah. And he said, you can make a character, I'm going to make a game where you can make a character in less than 15 minutes. Yeah. And, you, and I was like, okay. And then he did. And then he put it up on the internet. <laughs> and it's in beta, but it's free. And so go to the Hero Instant and look at the rules and look at the character sheets and knock yourselves out. I was Firebike Mike, Michelle on a motorbike who could control fire. And because uh, you could be whatever you want, yeah, for sure. right? Yeah. And so I've I've never had great social skills. I'm very sad that I was not introduced to D and D until I was in my late thirties uh, because. It would have been great because the thing I hid in in junior high was books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just like, "How do they do things?" He's got a dog, and uh, that's how he deals with it. <laughs> so, and you um, were you're a big fan of Tolkien? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, which I also did not read until college. Yeah, I, I had to take a couple of passes at that. It takes. Like, a while. I, I I got. I loved The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Read it in grade four. Like mm-hmm. just devoured it because mm-hmm. it's yeah, I was like oh I'll read it in the order chronologically and it's just such an accessible book right well, if you're nine or ten years old you should be able to either read it yourself or get it read to you yeah. and thoroughly enjoy it yeah but then, then I was like oh I'm gonna launch straight into the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I'm like oh no I got through the first book got part way through the second I'm like I, I can't do this and then in my 20s I came around yeah. and, and gave it again and I'm like okay now this is getting past the wall. I understand what he's doing with language. Right. And I read it, I was probably 18, and um, and one of my brothers, he was he's always been the guy that's turned me on to fiction, uh, like sort of science fiction and fantasy and stuff like that. Mm. And um, he's always been a big reader. It was, it was, uh, my brother Phil is a huge influence on me, and so... I lived with him and his wife one summer in between college, right? It was in between freshman and sophomore year. And um, he was like, you have got to try The Hobbit. Yeah. And so I read The Hobbit, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. And then, But I was 19, right? 18, 19 years old. So I read The Lord of the Rings. And he's like, you want to try The Silmarillion? And I was like, yes, and I could not. Because uh, it's like reading the Bible. Yeah, so, uh, it's it's... It is literally like reading the Bible. Yeah, it's who yeah, yeah, and it's a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but I took a class uh, that next semester, which was would have been like eighty four, was the first year that they offered this thing. It was a class on Tolkien, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, and Charles Williams, one of the other Inklings, and uh, and that I had to read the Silmarillion for that. And reading the Silmarillion assisted is the way to go. There's a guy named the Tolkien Professor, mm-hmm. and the Tolkien Professor has a series of podcasts. It's a, it's almost a seminar, mm-hmm. and it's about it's their eight one hour podcasts about the Silmarillion, and it is awesome. It's fascinating. It's fun. It's it's. I've always wanted. Get in! I've always wanted to penetrate that book, and I just have not been able to. I try to get. I'll fall asleep. I'll start reading. Literally, I literally I I bought it on tape. I was driving on. I was doing the road in the nineties on cassette tape. Fell fell asleep at the wheel. I was like, (laughs) we're done. I feel like reading like having like epic poet, epic Nordic poetry read to you. Yeah, (laughs) it's not happening. I like the Odyssey, but there's no way I'm listening to someone read me iambic pentameter as I try to drive the rocks. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. (laughs) It's an accident reading that. Uh, So yeah, um, and you also enjoy uh, Terry Pratchett, right? I do now. It took me a second. Um, Cage Baker. Was is my currently my favorite? I think science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. She um, 
passed away probably eight years ago. She was on the Dork Forest when it was a call-in show. And she uh, was curmudgeonly and wonderful. Anyway, she has written a, uh, my favorite series of hers is the Company series. She also wrote a fantasy series, which was just three books, uh, which is outstanding. She had a brain tumor and just plowed through and wrote, finished all of her series. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I appreciate that. Thank you yeah. from the grave. And uh, but uh, she, when I had her on the Dork Forest. Cage Baker said that she was only reading Terry Pratchett and Shakespeare. And I said, well, that doesn't sound pompous at all. <laughs> and she was like, stop talking. Anyway, so <laughs> I was like, why well, you got to bust my jobs? And, uh, but she, um, yeah, Terry Pratchett, he loves wordplay. He yeah. loves puns. He's a goof. He should, if he wasn't, he should have been, is he alive? I forget. He passed he just away passed, recently, right? yeah. He should be the father of three, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. It's because of the way a sense of humor runs. Yeah. But it took me several ep- uh, books to get into it. Yeah. It's, it's cumulative. It, you can't read it in chronological order. That's what I figured out. Like, I read it oh, in chronological order. And um, the early books are very almost Douglas Adams-like. Yeah. And it didn't click in quite the same way for me. But then when I realized, like, the, the characters span all the books. You see, like, the patrician... Recurring. Yeah, they, 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 the patrician shifted up about three books in and became, like, became a new character, but then he's all the way through in Sam Vimes and Carrot and all the, like, the, 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 the witches all come in, come and go. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh, I don't need to read this starting with the least likable two characters in the entire world. Right. I can start with, like, oh, I can go to the guards, and that, that's a self-contained oh, that, and it's a great, that's a great one. Did you, um, have you read the Dresden Files? Yes, yeah. Uh, I recommend starting with book four, okay. uh, because he really learns how to write right around book four. Yeah. And uh, I liked, like, four through seven. Mm. I haven't continued, but, um, you know, I, there's... There's so many. There's so many chains and stuff. It's. Yeah. Uh, have you read the California Bones? No, no. It's uh, Greg Van Eekout is his name, and he. It's about magic, and the magic resides in the bones of old, like mastodons, and 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 also mythical griffins, and, mm-hmm. and it's set in Los Angeles, and all the old wizards who run the town are like Disney. Oh, and Mulholland, and it's like and and Sepulveda, like literally all the guys who founded Los Angeles. I always find those um, those uh, where they take take history and just shift it slightly. Any story that does that. Orson Scott Card. Orson Scott Card, yeah. And uh, Charles DeLint, who's a Canadian author, does urban fantasy and sort of like that, where he sets it in Ottawa and all these places oh, nice. that I've been. Um, and I'm like. The, it, it's, it's, it's the reason why I struggle watching A Handmaid's Tale. And, I mean, the, the TV show. Oh, any the, number of reasons. It, there's a host of reasons. It's filmed in two locations, primarily. One where I grew up. Oh. The other out front of my apartment. So Little, Amer- <laughs> Little America. There's a scene where you see Little America, and it's like, that's my laundry room. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's got to be that, distracting. That makes me feel uncomfortable. And then it's like... Oh, that's my mother's house, yeah. and there's dead corpses hanging from the bridge by it. Yeah. Oh, that just really resonates in an uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, it's it's good that it makes you feel uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's like that's extra uncomfortable. That is extra, very <laughs> so, extra. Uncomfortable. And, and the other one is American Gods, also okay. filmed a big chunk in Cambridge, where I grew up. Cambridge, I, Ontario. Yeah, I, I don't watch either of those. I hate Handmaid's Tale because. I accidentally read it yeah. when it was the only thing in England, mm-hmm. English, uh, that I could get my hands on when I was traveling for a month in Europe in '89, yeah. and it was terrifying and sad. Yes, and yes. so I was like, "Oh, I don't need to read." I mean, it's one of those books again, like Upton Sinclair's book, where you're like, "No, that'll stay with me. I don't need to yeah. reread I, that." I, I got it. <laughs> it's like it's a, a man from the high, a man on uh, the castle? high high castle. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then American Gods, which I liked uh, yeah. a fair amount. I didn't entirely get it when I read it as a book. And then I'm rereading it as a comic book series right mm-hmm. now, which is actually helping. I, I found, I I'm, I like Neil Gaiman, but sure. his material, I just it, it never really clicked with me. But when he and Terry Pratchett good combined forces in Good Omens, which they're making it uh, with... Um, 
Oh, geez. Doctor Who. Uh, not not David, Cumberbatch. David Tennant. Oh, good. Is going to be. So I'm um, like, I'm sick of Cumberbatch. Yeah, David Tennant. Like yeah, David Tennant's going to be Crowley. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who's going to be Azra Fell. But it's like, they, they're, they're filming. I'm like, holy crap. This is like ripped from my brain. Right. So good <laughs> Omen is a delight. Yeah. And, and Terry Pratchett should have always written it yeah. with Neil Gaiman because it tones down his somberness. And uh, and he, and Neil Gaiman tones down his punniness. Yes, it's just like this, it's, it's a it's chocolate funny. It's a chocolate and peanut butter situation Very where much. these two good things come together, and it's a thousand times better than you'd think. Yep. Either one would be on their own. Right? Doesn't have any. Didn't even need to be that great, and because I still would have liked it. Yeah. But it's really one of the best. It's the one of the best. Yeah, it's yeah. great. But Cage Baker, it's about immortality and time travel, which mm-hmm. you're talking about historical fiction. I have a hard time with historical fiction if I have any, in, like, if I know anything about the history. Yeah. Because it's, uh, nobody's done any research. Yeah. That's not true with the Flashman series, mm-hmm. which is uh, an anti-hero of epic proportions. Harry Flashman is a disaster of a human being. Mm-hmm. And he has been in every major British conflict in American, and actually world conflict from 1848 to 1902. And the research on it, it's, he guy started writing in the 50s, stopped, I think, in the early 70s. And they are offensive, hilarious. He is a horrible human being, Harry Flashman, mm. who gets his comeuppance and then also gets medals and promotions and things like this where you're like, I remember Andy gave it to my husband gave it to me when mm-hmm. we were dating, and I read it and I was like, why would he give me this? this? Is the worst guy in the world? And I got to the end of it and I was like, where's the next one? <laughs> and because he is, he does not learn. He no. does not learn this guy, but he is consistently revealed to be a disaster. Like. He's in Afghanistan in 1848. Mm-hmm. The only reason, it's a complete massacre of British troops. The only reason he lives is because he throws everyone in front of him as he runs away. And he's, it's, anyway, but so the, when the history's done right, I like yeah. it. Cage Baker does the history right in mm. the company series. And uh, because it's about immortality and time travel, mm. uh, I started, weirdly enough, with the second book, which I kind of recommend. It's mm. uh, Sky Coyote is the second book. And the Garden of um, Eden is the first book, and the Garden of Eden takes place during the Spanish Inquisition, Ooh. and the uh, but not bad. Oh. Now, it isn't super graphic or anything. It's pretty light as far as um, the and the humor is super dry. It's kind of hilarious mm-hmm. in the way you're like, oh my god, she's. I mean, it's almost Terry Pratchett in the how cumulative. The, dr- the dryness is. Yeah. So, Sky Coyote takes place in a Chumash Indian village mm-hmm. in, also during the Spanish Inquisition, but in California. Okay. And then, the one after that, I think takes place in 1997. And, because it's about time travel. Yeah. And, uh, that, 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 that's the best thing about a time travel story. You literally have all of time and sometimes space Right, so there's seven disposal. main books, and then there's easily five or six with some other novellas and stuff, yeah. where they can't. There's a bajillion characters recurring that come through, like Terry Pratchett. Anyway, we have digressed into discussing <laughs> books. <laughs> um, well, I just I'll ask you one last question, um, so it's, so you can get ready for tonight. Sure. Um, so, if you have one piece of advice, you could go back in time. You know, but sure. definitely we'd be talking Ooh, about time nice travel. Look, so that's, an actual, together. that's an actual segue. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time ask, and, and give yourself one piece of advice when you're starting comedy, what would it be? Um, you know, I don't think I I would because I think I'd break it. Hmm. It's um, I was given a fair amount of advice. Uh, and I say that a little critically, but that's not true. I was given wonderful advice by this woman, Vanda Michalowski, who went by the name Vanda Michaels in 1984, 85, 85, I think. And, um, and she wrote it out for me and it's framed in my bathroom. And it's a, it's like eight pieces of advice about stand-up comedy, but they're really eight pieces of advice about plumbing. I mean, it's just essentially, um, don't compare yourself. You know, this type of thing. Uh, remember to have fun. Uh, 
try to make things your even very basic material can be made personal because mm-hmm. everyone quite honestly is talking about the same things we're all yeah. talking about sex we're all talking about marriage or relationships we're all talking about children or not children we're all talking about our parents or not our parents i mean literally there's five topics and then there's politics and socio-political stuff yeah and so people it's the same everyone's got the same we're all in the same gene pool so um you have to make every joke your own so she really gave me in 1985 or 86 the best advice and it's on, if you go to JackieCation.com, which you can also find by going to FamilyPetAncestry.com, because I bought it, because it made me laugh. It just goes to JackieCation.com. Um, if you go there in the lower right-hand corner, there's a hot link that says Advice I've Received, mm-hmm. and it will be the advice I've received. Excellent. And I would, I would when I, it was in this notebook... I taped it to the back of every notebook I had for decades. And then I framed it because I was like, hey, this is falling apart. And um, and then I showed it to Vanda Mikulowski probably 10 years ago when she moved back to, um, she was a, she had quit stand-up comedy and was teaching yoga to the Dixie Chicks oh, okay. on their world tour. And she's a yoga instructor. Mm-hmm. And um, she, but she came back to do stand up in L.A. and I met her at an open mic and I was like, you know, you gave me a thing and she's like, I saw that on the internet. I don't remember writing that. And so I said, well, let me. And I brought her the original, mm-hmm. and she said, that is weird because that is my handwriting. <laughs> but that is, I don't remember writing that at all. And I said, well, you were pretty coked up. Uh, it was 85 remember (laughs) and I think she was 20 and she was 24 years old and hanging out with Sam Kinison so there was really no way that she wasn't doing drugs it's kind of like a prerequisite oh you're here for Sam free coke alright well thank you very much for for joining me today and welcome to Toronto and and enjoy I feel welcome what I really feel was that was passive aggressive (laughs) to come and pick up that picking up that pillow was being a bit of a (laughs) passive aggressive welcome to Canada (laughs) we don't put pillows on the floor excuse me it's a nation built on passive aggression (laughs) it's our our Britishness (laughs) (laughs) but it keeps you polite and I like it When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.